Welcome everyone. This is Marie Waite and we are here at our Zoom talk. And this time I'm interviewing Steve Matley. Uh, Steve, how are you doing? Very good, Marie. How are you doing today? Good, good. Excited about this call because I know you and I have worked on so many projects and it was uh, this is a great opportunity for people to know how it all started for us. And I just want to let people know that you and I were in Toastmasters uh, way back, I believe, sometime in early 2000. And uh, you and I were uh, in... 2007, somewhere in there, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you were the president, too, at that time. Uh, became right? president at one point, yes. Yes. And then I was going to be the incoming president. And for some reason, there was uh, a problem with our time schedule because... <laughs> You and I were not able to communicate for almost two years. Am I right? Because of our schedule. Well, we saw each other at the meeting and just a friendly hi, and that was about it. We never really talked, but we also had no reason to really do business together either. Yes, because at that time you were working at the uh, San Joaquin Valley College. Yeah, and my company, I was doing work, but I wasn't doing it in the community where we were meeting. Okay, and I was so involved in the community at that time. My, my office was in my house, but I wasn't most I wasn't working in that area. So okay, and then when I have to succeed the uh, president role in Toastmasters, that's when you and I started talking, and you somehow got involved in our nonprofit organization, which is the Inland Valley Business and Community Foundation. Now, wait, when you say somehow got involved, <laughs> I believe you want to tell them that story. I believe you. <laughs> You got me involved into that. <laughs> wasn't a plan. Well, tell them the story how that happened. <laughs> I'm still not sure how it happened. I was kind of like being shanghaied on the high seas and put into service. <laughs> you know, I, I do remember um, you invited me because I had been teaching at a college. You invited me to an education committee meeting at, of your group. And your education committee met. And as they were talking, it turned into kind of a little bit of a gripe session about an event that had gone wrong, like an event that hadn't gone very well, I think. And people were kind of upset with how things said, you know, people hadn't really stepped up and done things. And I remember asking some questions. All I said was, well, wait a minute. I don't know anything about the organization or what the event was or what you guys did, but I got a couple of questions. One is, do the people, the person or people you're upset with, did they have a job description? Do they know what they were supposed to do? No. Yes, I remember uh, that. Uh, I asked some other questions. I said, okay, um, was there somebody they were supposed to report to? Somebody, no, didn't have any of that. Well, how do you know they didn't do their work if you didn't have it outlined? And then I said, so I'm just curious, uh, just another question, since you didn't have that. Do you guys have like a mission statement for your organization? And everybody started trying to look it up. They said, hold on. <laughs> um, some grabbed a book, some went to a computer. I said, no, 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 no. Mission is in your heart. So, you know, in your head and in your heart. Even if you have to paraphrase it, it doesn't have to be word for word, but who can tell me the mission and nobody knew it. And, and I believe the answer was, well, an attorney wrote that up to get the 501c3. <laughs> I said, okay, well, that's fine. That's, that's for the IRS, that's a mission, but that's not your mission. So let's start with that. And so that's all I did was bring that up to ask the question. And then the next thing I knew, you said something like, yes, we need to revisit this. We need to have a good mission and Steve's gonna help us do it. And I said, oh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said anything. And <laughs> I, I was responsible. So. Well, I, I swear, I mean, it was, it was something that um, we really need to open up our eyes in terms of the mission statement because 
Yeah, we were all guilty. We have a mission statement, but we didn't really know what we were doing. And the mission statement you had was not your mission. It was something an attorney up for yes. incorporation documents. And I didn't really know really how significant. Purpose. It wasn't yeah, really I didn't the know. purpose that you guys wanted to do. That's yeah. right. But I didn't really know how significant that is in terms of our organization. That mission statement is a big deal. Well, for a lot of organizations, it isn't. Because a lot of organizations have them. And just like your organization, nobody's looked at them, nobody knows what they are, or maybe it's on a website and it sounds good, but nobody really lives by it. And that's unfortunate. And, and for some companies, they have very great sounding mission statements, but it's not the core of the company. When you find out what's at the core of the company, maybe the real mission is, you know, make the officers filthy rich. Well, that, that's not very inspiring, but it could be the truth. Um, in other cases, maybe they have a mission that was a mission 25 years ago and different people run it now and they're doing something different and they just never went back and revisited that. So a mission statement is significant if it is uh, put forth and followed and everybody in the organization understands it's working towards it. Otherwise, it's just something in a frame on the wall to try and impress people to come into the office. Yeah. Yes. So when you pointed this out to us and I kind of volunteered you to help us out, <laughs> <laughs> but you went through with um, giving us the uh, the process to where we had to follow a specific grid, and it took us six months. And we, how many people we were uh, you were You're working part with? Of, I don't know what six or eight people or something like that. Yeah, something like that. It's been a long time, but I, I, I remember it was a handful group of people. Yeah, I was not a member of your organization at all. Yes. So I was an outside person. Yeah. And you became a member later. <laughs> well, that's a whole other story, yes. But, um, yes, and there was a, the, so the grid is in order to think through it, because telling people to write a mission up is, is really, really difficult. It's like telling somebody you need a life purpose. What does that mean? And so you need to have a structure people can think through and say, okay, what does that mean? And just questions to ask. And so I set forth just a quick little nine box grid that just said, look, here's the three, um, Here's the three, um, I guess, indicators of an organization's health and vitality, if, yes. if it's working. And then here is um, the, the three things that identify an organization. And, and by cross-referencing those, three times three is nine, that's where the boxes come in, um, you can ask specific questions within each one of those and answer them. And so each week we would meet or I think it was every two weeks we meet or something like that. That's right. Um, we would go through one of those boxes. And, and I know originally people thought, well, this would be a pretty quick exercise. And as we got into it, we were doing two, two plus hour meetings in each of those boxes answering the one question because we had so many different viewpoints and perspectives that had to be boiled down and, and put together into it. And it actually opened a lot of discussion among your board into who they were, what they were, and why they existed. Yes, and it was such a good process that I got to understand what everybody's thinking. And all of us ended up being in the same page by going through that process. Right. And it was such an incredible experience. And then after that, you went through with the vision statement with us. Yes, and I, we did two years, five, what did we do? Two years, five years, 20 years, and 50 years or something like that? Something like that. It was a lot of uh, different scale. Yeah, so it was, where do we see us just in, the, in a couple of years ahead? Where, where do we see ourselves practically? Um, and, and here's the thing. Most people vastly overestimate what they could do in 12 months, which is why New Year's resolutions tend to fail a lot. We really overestimate what we can do and how much and how effective we can be in 12 months. 
but more so we vastly underestimate what we could accomplish in 10 years because it's not a linear. It's not like I can do one 10% each year for 10 years. You, you put a lot of effort forth the first year and you don't see a lot of results. And as you move towards it, the level of effort decreases and the level of return increases. And, and it's this, the, the scale is a swoop like this. And so what happens is that in 10 years, you can be exponentially further ahead than where you thought you could be if you had put 10 individual years together. Yes. But uh, just to say the long story short, um, right after we went through this process, um, the uh, nonprofit organization became very structured and we were able to say a quick yes and a quick no on everything that we're dealing with. And then we actually increased our membership from almost nothing to over a hundred members in yes. a very short period of time. And, and, and heard, then we- Yeah, I yeah, remember the ahead. battle was trying to keep people from putting programs in as vision or mission. He said, no, no, I don't want to hear, I don't want an expo. I don't want a job fair. I don't know that, that those are programs. Those are events. This is supposed to be who we are, what we are, why we exist. And then where do we see ourselves in the future? And what are the core values that are non-negotiable? And once we figure that out, the events, the programs, where you do things, as you said, quick yes, quick no. If yes, it was, it was such, yes, or no. yes, it was such a great uh, way of thinking to where we were able to move forward uh, faster because we knew what we want and we knew what are the our guidelines. Mm -hmm. So um, after that, the uh, IVBCF became very uh, successful in creating events, and even the events are itself. Uh, they were uh, they were created based on our mission statements. That's right. So it was so easy for us to create those events. And some had not been foreseen. For example, when the local uh, TEDx organizer approached us and said, you know, we need a nonprofit partner. Uh, is this something you can help us with? By just, uh, and we had some discussion among the board and not everybody agreed. And we just went back to, no, wait a minute. Let's go look at what was our mission? What was our values? What's our vision? Does this fit? Is there anything in here that says this doesn't fit or it does fit? And it was fairly quick then to say, well, you know, it, maybe we hadn't considered it, but this actually fits with what we said we want to do in the community. Yes, and everyone right away agreed because they they knew what the mission statement and TEDx was such a great program that we, we became the sponsor for yeah, we had TEDx. Some, they already had the operation to run it. They just needed someone to help them as a nonprofit partner. Exactly. And, it's been a good, and, good and that actually fits our even our vision statement for over 20 years to, okay. uh, to create that history. That's right. Yes, and so that was such an amazing uh, project with you. And then after IVBCF, um, you ended up uh, helping me with the finest women in real estate, because I was talking to you about um, this group of women, and I wanted to uh, help market them and everything. And you actually helped me understand the value of creating a business out of that, and also to, to process the trademark. And I didn't really understand what a trademark is at that time. You explained to me the value of trademark and how it is important for me to consider that when I'm opening a business. Right. Yeah, because you don't want to put all your work out and do all the trouble to brand it and have no protection on that brand where someone else can now take what you built up and use it for themselves, just steal the name so yes. that, or the logo or something. And that's why it's intellectual property. And if you're going to invest that much in it, you need to make sure that you own it. 
and make sure that the law recognizes that you own it. Yes, and you, you gave me a lot of examples to where other companies have lost their business because of not doing the right things for opening a business and you know filing the trademark and copyrights, all of that. So uh, that was really very, very valuable for me. And then after that, we uh, created the Fire Up Live seminar. We ended up creating the Fire Up Connect. And I kind of knew the process already because of uh, opening the finest women in real estate and then now creating all these projects to where I, I know what, what I have to do to protect all the intellectual uh, properties of my company. And that's the idea is if you work with someone and they and you teach them and mentor them well enough, then they don't need you in the future. They know what to do now. You, you teach them how to fish. And so you do a lot of stuff now. You don't have to come and ask me a lot of questions on stuff because we've been through it. You already know a lot of it. And it's, that's true. it's good. It's good to see you now passing that information to other people. I, I've heard you coach other people that work with you and you've yes. told them, go get this trademarked. Go get yourself your logo, get it trademarked. If you're going to brand it, then you need to protect it. And I've heard you tell people that and advise them of that. Yes, because I, I truly believe on what you have uh, taught me. And I feel very safe about running my businesses because of those things. Then um, I also learned, Steve, that you have done a lot of land development uh, projects yes. where you've told me stories on how these people have been a part of your company or they believe in your project that they uh, did very well. And I ended up uh, researching some more of that and I am now uh, more, uh, involved and aware of what it is. And I, I truly am blessed by all the things that you do. Uh, so can we just share uh, quickly what your company is about? Uh, and I believe the name is Coast to Coast Equities LLC or Incorporated, I'm sorry. Uh, land yes. development uh, or land acquisition that we do is under Coast to Coast. And it's not just mine alone. I have two partners in it. Um, and between us, we, we share the load um, very amicably uh, in order to make it work. We all bring different strengths to the table. We all have some, we have a lot of commonality, but and a lot of overlap, but also some differences there, which actually works very well. We're also very different personalities, which helps uh, different personalities you need at different times. Uh, generally, what we do is we, we try to do a couple things. One is we talk about mission purpose. Um, aside from the physical work we do. We, we like to look at food, shelter, and clothing are the three essentials out there, right? Um, shelter is a, is a big thing, and it's very uh, becoming inexpensive, I mean, inaffordable. In it's expensive and not affordable in California and hard to come by, and especially for families. And so we try to specialize in providing the land that builders can use to provide the more affordable homes for families. Uh, we look at this as providing homes for families to uh, build their histories and their memories and, you know, their whole legacy. People think about the home. The people like to go home to where the memories are, to where their family is. And so we, we try to provide that. Uh, secondly, we believe that building wealth should not be relegated just to a small percentage of people. Um, that we, we, need, we need to make more lucrative opportunities available to more people. And, and so a lot of people do the traditional real estate, buy and hold, re fix and flip, those type of things. And those are fine. And, and people make, you know, 5%, 8%, 10% returns on those, which is 
decent. That's not, that's not bad at all. Um, our projects return significantly higher because they're in a different realm. We're doing projects that um, major developers would do, but we do it with nor regular people and smaller amounts of money by pooling their resources together. We allow people to access an area of real estate investing that normally they could not because most people don't have a couple million dollars sitting at home in the bank or stuffed in their mattress, right? So for a smaller amount, less than they would probably use to get into a fix and flip or to buy something to rent out, for less than that amount of money, they can join up with other people that have that much money in what they call a syndication, a pool, and then we will do the project and return, make give the returns to the investors. And, and our investors make uh, significantly, exponentially higher returns on that because that's available to them. That of course, that would depend on if that kind of project fits their uh, risk portfolio, their, their, their uh, personality, those type of things. Okay. Uh, so the physical work we do is we buy land, we entitle it, we run it through the planning commission, change the zoning on it, and then we sell it to builders and developers at, at a much higher and, and uh, better okay. use. And, and I've seen you done a lot of presentations. I receive a lot of um, communication with the people that were involved in your projects. I'm very impressed with, with the entire program. So um, I just wanted to let people know that that's one of the things that you do. And aside from that, you are also the chair professor for New School of Architecture and Designs. And you actually were the one that started the uh, curriculum for the construction management, am I right? Not for new school. That was already there when I got there. Okay. I started the curriculum for a different college, a two-year college uh, in the inland area, quite by accident. Um, but I, I was asked if I would do it. Again, kind of the way you asked me to do IVBC, they asked me to do this. Okay, I, had, I see. No background in it. But I did, and because to me it was important to get back to an industry that treated me very well. You know, I worked in construction management for decades, and it fed me well, it took care of me, it provided provision, and I felt that it's, um, it's an obligation to train up the next generation coming into the industry just the way the last generation trained me up and helped me. And so, so I started that, it was a two-year program. We designed that, got it accredited, and I ran that program for eight years, actually eventually becoming the dean of the college at one time, which is crazy for a guy that probably wasn't smart enough to go to college in the first place, so there you go. Anybody tells you you're not smart enough to go to college, prove them wrong and become the dean of a college, okay? <laughs> so then I did work for uh, Cal Baptist University for a while, helping them get theirs off the ground. I was not in charge of the program, but I was helping the program director get that up and running and, and help articulating it to the program that I was running. And then when I moved to San Diego, I was called by the gentleman who was running that program. And he asked me if I could come teach one class for one term, which okay. I did. And then he kept kind of like what you did with the IBBCF. He started feeding me more classes. And next thing you know, he told me one day, you're going to be in charge of the program. That's always what happens to you. <laughs> he pulled the, uh, the guilt trip on me, you know, well, hey, you know, nobody else can do this. You're the one that's got the expertise and, you know, you know education is a pay as well as you can afford to do this. And these students are relying on you. They need some, you know, this kind of thing, right? And you're not going to let all these people down, are you? So. Well, it's so really hard to put someone else in charge if you know that this person was the one who is an expert and who started everything. I mean, you can't blame those people not to put you in charge. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm one of the few people that probably has the expertise and the capacity to do it. Cause the truth is the people um, like me in the industry that have a lot of years of experience, they get paid a lot to work in the industry. They're busy. 
they are building buildings and building freeways and building bridges and, and doing developments and housing tracks. And they're doing all that kind of work. Um, I happened to be in a situation where I was not doing that at the time and I had the knowledge. And so I could, uh, my company that I run, I don't need to put a lot of hours in because my partners and I split that duty. And between the three of us, we put the hours in maybe one full-time person. Uh, but because um, most of the work is done by consultants, honestly, um, by engineering consultants. That do the work. Yeah, but let, let, let me ask you about your building industry experience. Yeah. I mean, you were there for over 25 years. That's right. Am I right? 25 years. Okay. I mean, what? As a general contractor and then okay. as a construction manager, as a developer, yes. Okay. So um, how many projects have you, have you done? And uh, are this like, <laughs> I mean, who did you count. work for? It's hard to count. And here's why it's really hard to count. When, when I was a general contractor, I did a slew of small projects when I was first getting started. I was doing repairs and remodels and additions and those types of, I don't know how many I did, just okay. a lot of them. And, and I did some larger stuff too. Um, as a construction manager, I did major projects where we did turnkey, start, oversee the plan, the design, get it entitled, oversee the construction, turn it over, you know, multi-million dollar projects. But we did a lot of small stuff too. I did projects where we were doing uh, litigation support. We were doing um, forensics investigations and expert witnessing and stuff. And so how many projects I've done, honestly, I, I don't know that I could count them. Um, also, my kids will tell you, and, and you know too, because we've gone to LA to do some events and I'll yes. drive by the freeway and I'll, you know how annoying that is, right? Look, I built that building. Well, I did that one over there. I built this over here, right? And, and my kids used to joke with that. They're like, you know, okay, Dad, what didn't you build? So, you know, so what? Because because that's what happens in the industry. We you know one thing that grab makes people gravitate towards it is you've got this legacy that's out there because these buildings you worked on, and it doesn't matter if you're the engineer, the architect, the contractor, the trade contractor, the supplier. It doesn't matter. All of them can say I worked on that, and it's and it's a monument that is real that no one can deny. It's there. Okay. It's well, let me ask you this question: What is the best project that you have worked on? Uh, well, that depends on how you define best. Uh, you define best as the most fun. Do you find best as the most lucrative? Do you find best as the one with the highest profile and the most validation you get from it? Um, I don't know. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot of ways to look at that. Okay. Um, one but of the for best you, personally, housing tract that I did, and it was the first one I did with my current partners. And the reason that was the best is because that launched a series of projects. We did over 40 projects over the next three or four years. Oh, and that wow. was the one that launched all that off. And that was nice, but it was a small, it was, I don't know, 37 homes or something like that. Nothing, nothing major. It was actually sold to a group of NFL, former NFL players who built it out. Um, if you look at projects that have prestige, I did some twin towers in Santa Monica, right on uh, Ocean Boulevard over the Palisades years ago. I worked on that. I see that on TV all the time. I see car ads and other ads where you show, see the beach and you see the, the coastline and those buildings are up there in the background. Um, so yeah, I, I actually, in downtown San Diego, I worked on the intermodal transportation facility that went in. Um, the school is hilarious because the enrollment people will say, if you want to see one of these buildings, go stand out in the middle of the street without getting hit by the trolley and look down at the end, that clock tower is his. And, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to have those kind of things around. They're, they're a yeah. lot of fun. And then well, there's the project they did that was the House of Worship that was just so phenomenally designed. And I can't take credit for that. The architects were amazing on it. Uh, yeah. We had our issues on it, but it was amazing. They were amazing. And that is truly a work of art. And it was, it was nice to be a part of that project. Too. Okay. Well, one thing I know about you, Steve, is you are very detailed and very good with contract negotiations. And I know that you have mentioned to me that you did work 
for the Navy contracts uh, where there were uh -huh. like 800 pages of contract yeah. that you had, you were paid to review that 800 pages. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm not really sure what kind of qualification experience you have to have in order to do those kind of things. <laughs> so maybe you can uh, elaborate that. Masochism, I think, yes. What's that? <laughs> a large measure of masochism, you know, self, <laughs> self punishment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but that's such an incredible um, skill to be put into those kind of tasks. And actually, I enjoyed working in the Navy project. I really enjoyed working on them, but the downside is it is a minefield of administrative contract administration uh, because you know, you're, you're under DOD uh, and you're, un you're under, so it's, there's this multi-layer thing. You've got the base uh, called FIAD, which is the base, which is like the property managers. You got NAFAC, which is like the owners, and you got DOD, which is like the funding people and you know, all those layers, right? It's the federal government and all the different layers of the Department of Defense coming down and um, all the restrictions. And I, there's reasons they have those. They're building top secret um, facilities. Some of the facilities have very special functions to them. And there's a lot of reasons they have all these restrictions. Plus there's all the public contracting code to make sure that nobody's um, doing handouts to friends and neighbors and those kind of things. So all those different layers that have to be protected there create very large, arduous contracts, quality control and um, uh, recycling and, and waste management and safety issues and all that stuff come into it. And, and all of it's necessary, but it makes very, very difficult contracts to navigate through and every bit of it has to be complied with. And wow. so there's not, there's, there's many people that do it, but, but it's a specialized skill to be able to navigate those kind of contracts. And, not it, and it's because of your 25 years on the construction. A lot construction. of experience, that's right. You learn things uh, through experience. Okay. And, and I believe you've been on litigation as as witness, am I right? For yeah, I worked for a CM firm and I was called in, um, I was called in uh, many times as uh, some, sometimes investigations and sometimes actually to go into the depositions. So what was that experience? Uh, can you tell it some stories on, about it? It depended on the case and I, can, I don't know um, how much I can divulge because these are these are legal cases. Okay. Um, but generally there was um, a couple different types of cases. Often they were like defect litigation where you'd have an owner or a group of owners, let's say an HOA or something that were suing a builder or developer because of what they considered to be defective construction. And so sometimes we worked for the plaintiffs and sometimes for the defense. And often I would be sent out in the field. I would be sent out to the field to do investigations and not know if I was working for the plaintiffs or the defense. I was just sent out to do the investigation. And so my report was what it was. It, it was, it's what it was. And I didn't know which side I was on because I would turn that over to someone else in the team. Later on, I was actually called to go in two depositions. Obviously I knew where I was, what side I was on in those cases. Uh, there was also insurance issues uh, where an uh, insurance company had offered an adjustment amount and then the owner decided that wasn't enough and they hired a private adjuster who would hire us to come in and do a counter uh, estimate on it. Okay. And they negotiate somewhere in the middle. Um, sometimes there were safety violation issues. Uh, so there was a lot of different things that would happen uh, with that. And we would be hired to support um, an, a, an attorney for one side or the other and provide evidence. Okay. So this is uh, as part of what you do uh, in the construction industries that you also have to be strong in negotiating. Because yes, I sir. know that you have done presentation on strong negotiation skills. That's right. So um, what was that process with you? Well, a negotiation is something that just came with the territory by what we, by what we do. Um, whether you're negotiating contracts as a consultant for with an owner, or we are negotiating on behalf of an owner for uh, design 
um, design services or quality control services or construction services. Or I also worked in the GC side where you're negotiating contracts with trade contractors and suppliers. And so no matter what, everything's a negotiation. Even getting a job in the first place, um, deciding where to go to dinner is a negotiation often. Okay. Uh, so, so everything to some degree is a negotiation. And this industry, just, just like your industry, which was real estate, it just comes to the forefront as just something you have to do. And you realize it's a matter of trying to get the best outcome for both parties in, in the most expedient way possible. I know a lot of people think negotiation is you're a winner if the other person's a loser. And I don't necessarily see that. See, that's where a lot of those litigation cases came up because somebody negotiated a contract that way and it ended up in a claim and a litigation later on. Um, generally, if you can negotiate so that both parties don't feel like they lost, both parties feel like they got what they needed out of the deal and they're being protected at the same time, um, they understand that they had to um, work, get the other person what they needed as well. And, and those, those tend to be the more successful projects if you can negotiate those kind of, of arrangements. Uh, okay. Well, did you ever encounter a situation where the negotiation was not going your way and people are giving you a hard time? Was there oh, yeah. any, any case that way? Oh, many times, many times. Okay. And, and now, so here's the thing. I know there's negotiators, uh, negotiation programs out there, and they're good programs. There's, there's a lot of good programs out there um, that I think, I've read a lot of books on it and stuff. And, and I think a lot of them are, are, are very good information, but um, there's ones, there's some that kind of come from the idea that, um, you know, the ultimate negotiation is like what hostage negotiations, right? Those kind of things, mm -hmm. uh, things having to do with uh, international diplomacy and those kind of things. And yes, in their case, you cannot afford to back away, walk away, or lose anything. You cannot afford to do that. If you're trying to get a kid who's been kidnapped out of the hands of the kidnapper safely, uh, you can't afford to just walk away from that thing. Um, but this is business. And, and business, you do have that option in many cases. And that's a very key difference, a big difference. In business, everything is voluntary you can choose not to do business with somebody. And if a negotiation is going bad and you feel like the reason it's going bad is the person on the other side of the table is not, um, does not have goodwill. They're not being honest with you. You feel like they're setting you up to be taken advantage of. You have every right and in fact a responsibility to get up and leave that table if you have to, because sometimes the best deal is no deal. Sometimes and you have possible. done that in some of your negotiations, and we right? Have, I have run into that. And I have actually had to um, face the issue of potentially forcing a breach of an agreement because of another party's um, gross disingenuousness. Mm -hmm. Remember, a contract, an agreement's only as good as the people behind it. The best contract in the world, the best, most solid contract in the world, a great attorney can shoot holes into it right? You, you can find ways around it, no matter how well it's written. The contract, purpose of the contract is to put in writing what people have agreed to, so there's no misunderstandings, and to make sure that we all understand our rights, our responsibilities, the expectations, the outcomes, who deliverables, what's who's supposed to do what by when. Um, if the people behind it don't have honor, then the contract is no good from the outset, no matter how well you've written it. The, if the people behind it do not have honor, it is a bad contract. So I see. So you have to, that's just the way it is. And sometimes there again, it's tempting to take deals because you need the money because we're short on projects or whatever. But sometimes those are the ones that you just can't get yourself extracted from. And I know in your experience, Marie, you've had that client, the client that was so much more trouble than they were worth, the client that cost you more money 
than you ever could have gone out of them as a client and you wish you'd have never met them. Because yes, they were, uh, the, the they good were thing about it is because I'm, with your coaching, I mean, you've been mentoring me for many years that when I run into those kind of problems, um, I was actually glad to see it right in the beginning to where I can make a decision. Do I want it to let go or do I want to keep moving forward? And, and there were times that I have let go of people and there were times that I have given people a second chance because I can see the good in people also. And I've done second and third chances on people and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Much more so than, and you've actually done that against my advice sometimes. Yeah. And I will say, I will say that sometimes you've been right. Um, I, I tend to have a little less patience uh, with people than you do, um, but that's part of your strength. And I, I've actually advised you a couple of times. I think that person's more maintenance than they're worth. And you've stuck it out and found out that that person becomes a very good ally for you. Yes. Uh, so sometimes it pays off. Other times it is not. That's true. Sometimes people have in fact become more maintenance than they were worth. Yes. Yes. And, and those are the risks that I take. Um, it is again, you know, listening to people's advices and recommendations, but ultimately I make my decisions. <laughs> That's ever, never really should. You, it's okay. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, that old mm -hmm. proverb, go to people that you trust and get their, get their counsel, their wisdom, their advice. And then it's not up to them to make the decision though. You have yes. to make the decision, take that to heart, analyze it, and eventually own that decision and either the reward or consequence that comes with that decision. And if you took their advice and it turns out bad, you don't blame them for it. You made your decision. That's true. I mean, I, it's always advice, me. The and final decision out, is you don't, me. You don't go back and say, told you so, right? You don't do yes. either one of those. It, it's your decision and you own it. Yes. So, um, you know, so learning this um, about you, Steve, having a good, strong negotiation skills. I mean, that's a whole topic just to talk about that. But I wanted to talk about the building solid foundations and how that started with okay, you. Because I, I, I was part of that in the beginning. Yes. Uh, I remember when you were still, when we were just forming it and you came up with the name of building solid foundation. Do you want to kind of talk about that? Well, it took several different iterations. And the idea was, you know, building, building a foundation upon which you can build business, life, reputation, brand, integrity, build all that up on it. And, and a lot of that came from discussions where people like the, um, people will spend money readily and they like the part about um, increased leads, increase my sales, increase my revenues, blah, blah, blah. And the problem is what's, what they're missing is there's no foundation in there. There's no structure or foundation in their business. And so it's a lot of uh, chasing after trying to get more leads, but they don't really, they can't make those decisions. Like what we talked about with the nonprofit where you can make yes. a quick decision, yes or no, without the structure, they don't know. They have no aim or direction. They're just chasing after more leads, more closings, more money, but they're, they don't know where, where it's going or, or what it leads to, or, or there's no structure behind it. People don't really understand who they are, what they are, why they exist, or, and they don't either. And so the, the discussion was, People need a foundation under the business and it's not what's taught. It's not, that's not really taught very much. E even, even in business school, because I went through business school and they talk about it to some degree, but it's a minor part of it. Um, there, there needs to be a solid foundation upon which you build a business. And in truth, there needs to be a solid foundation upon which you build your life. Because if you don't have a solid foundation as an individual, it's almost impossible to put a solid foundation under a business because your business is created in the image of yourself. All businesses are created in the image of the founder. Uh, that's just by nature. So you, you create the foundation and that's that, um, that's that 
mission or purpose and yes. the core values and the vision. And then there's the structure you build up around it. And the structure is policies and procedures and marketing plans and capital asset plans and human resource plans and recruiting plans and those type of things that go into it. Um, you create the structure, like just like a house. And of course, I come out of the construction business and that's my line of thought is first you put in the solid foundation and nobody's really going to see it or notice it. But if it's not there, everything you put on top of it is, is useless. It's, it'll okay. fall apart. So is that why... I mean, I am very much aware that Building Solid Foundation is now a TV network. Yes. Yeah, so, so there's, there's building the business and then there's the programs that come out of it. So out of Building Solid Foundations, initially it was more of a training program. And we, we were training people, helping train people on how to run business, real estate agency, but how to build a business entity. And out of that came uh, several, I, I was doing some mastermind groups. We were doing some networking groups out of that. Uh, if you remember, we used to do um, a dinner for eight. Remember that? Yes. Okay, where we put yes. eight people would sign up and they would do a one evening mastermind with each other around the dinner table. And, That's correct. And share issues and ideas and thoughts. Okay. So different things to help people build their business up. And then um, when you started doing your shows. Um, the TV shows. How that tied into what we were doing because you started Finance Women in Real Estate and you talked a lot about putting structure uh, behind real estate the real estate business for people. And you started Real Men in Real Estate. Real Men in Real Estate was the, you know, the three guys, fortunately I was one of them that we got to talk about what the industry was like, the market was like, and those type of things. And that creates a foundation of knowledge for people to make decisions on real estate investing and what they want to do. Uh, you had a business doctor show, which was a business coach that helped people. And then we, I did my own show, which was kind of a lot of different things. Uh, some of it real estate, some business, some had to do with women in construction and mil military veterans transitioning to the workforce, all these different things that fit within what I was trying to do, which is um, helping to educate and edify people, encourage them and, and equip them to be successful in what they're doing. And we had those shows up on another network and that network disappeared one day. We didn't know why. Uh, I don't, we still don't know really what happened with it. Um, but we had we had already this is an integrity issue right you tell people you come on the show we'll have you on these platforms and one of those was there's a roku channel and all of a sudden it disappeared so in order to uh, maintain integrity and do what you say you're going to do i i went out and got my own roku channel called building solid foundations yes. as a house for those a place to put those where we now have control over that and so working together um most of what's on there is things you have produced um, and it correct. provides a place where you know it's not going to go away. And and it's you can tell people uh, without worrying in the future that you will be on this platform and people can see you, people can find you there, knowing it will still be there. It'll be there. Yes. And, so and such, a, such a blessing to have that distribution um, with your help. Now, um, now that you have the, I'm sorry. The focus is shows that help people to build the foundation of their lives and their business. Exactly. So do you have... Uh, have you set goals for the for the network at all for the Building Solid Foundation Network? Yes. Um, so, well, the initial goal, of course, is to get it up and running and immediately place all those shows where we had promised people they'd be on the um, the network. You had you had you had made um, promises to people, and I had done a few shows on my own where I had told people if you do the, you know do the show, we'll have it up here on Roku. And so, so that was the initial goal was to get that done, and we yes. did. But future goals on there is to fill that channel out with high quality informational and entertaining and educational shows that help people to build the solid foundation of their 
personal finances, their business, their families, um, their, their individual legacies, their integrity, to build the solid foundation that they can build their lives and their businesses and their families on. And, and, and I know that sounds um, big and huge. Grand, yes. The reason it's that way is it opens up to a lot of things that can be on there, but you know, there's things that won't be on there that I can easily say no to in that case that they don't, if they're not positive and edifying and building people up, I don't want them. I don't want drama mama reality shows on there. Um, that's not going to work. I, I don't need, you know, kids cartoons. No, that doesn't really fit in there. Right. Um, so there's a lot of shows. Um, I, I don't see variety entertainment shows on there. That's not the right thing. There's other places to put that. Um, so, but I do want entertaining shows and I have no problem putting shows up that are less talk and less education, but there's good, um, a good moral behind the story. I don't mind if it's, if it's a fictional type stuff, as long as there's a solid message and a positive story behind it that helps people build their uh, personal or business um, foundation. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of way, ways to go. Uh, and for right now, I know you've got some plans with some people to possibly put some shows up. And I like what I'm hearing on yes. potential shows because you've got some quality people that are stepping forward. And, and the only parameter I have is I don't want garbage. So I don't want, I don't want, we don't want things on the channel that look like somebody filmed it in their basement using their iPhone. Um, that's fine for Facebook and YouTube. And I do though, honestly, I couldn't put stuff on YouTube um, that I just shoot right here at home that are different thoughts. Those don't go onto my Roku channel. Um, those, those, those stay on YouTube and it's perfectly acceptable for that. The Roku channel needs to be a little bit higher in stuff because these are things people are streaming on their TVs. And, and so it has to be something a little higher quality. Now, the other goal is to expand beyond Roku into digital platforms that are mobile, because I think for a lot of the kind of shows that you're producing and some of the stuff that I want to do, these are not necessarily things where people will go sit down with a bowl of popcorn and on their 4k TV 60 inches wide, they're going to watch these things. I see more of it. They may be watching on their smartphone or on their tablet while they're sitting in the airport or in the doctor's waiting room or someplace like that. And they've got an extra 15, 20 minutes and they'll pop that up and watch it in those. And, and so a lot of the push is to over the next year adapt platforms where we can go mobile. I see. Well, I'm very, very excited with the future of the network. And I myself is, you know, um, telling people about it where they now have access to a TV distribution uh, in Roku. And uh, definitely we're going to be looking at more distribution, but uh, yeah, we, we specifically chose Roku because uh, we were told by the experts that it is the best platform right now for streaming. Um, Amazon has a lot of stuff, but it's sort of um, a wasteland and to some degrees, it's hard to find things. You get lost in there. It's a jungle. And, and they said, yeah, nobody will ever find you in there. Um, it's kind of like the early days of YouTube before you had good search engines, you know, it's, you put stuff in there, nobody's ever going to find it. Uh, so that, that was kind of what our advice on that. Um, and I'm not an expert at it. I, I'll be the first to admit, I am not a techie. I am not out of the entertainment business. I'm, I'm a construction development and business kind of person. Um, so I listened to the experts and that's what I was advised by the people that, that they, they write platforms for it, but they said, they said Roku is where you want to go first. And then here's some other platforms you may want to consider in the future. Uh, so that's what, that's why we are on Roku. Okay. Well, um, I really, really thank you for this time, uh, Steve, because uh, I, I learned more about what you wanted to do with the network. And that's actually one of my goals, why I wanted to do this call too. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I want to ask you for some last words for the people that are watching this show and listening to it. Um, it's, uh, if you can do that, that would be amazing. Um, you know, the only thing I would, I would say to people is um, whatever you're doing, make it what you do well. 
Uh, don't do things mediocre. Don't do things half-baked. Um, if you're going to be, you know, whatever you decide to get into, be a student of it. Learn it. Go, you know, go to webinars, go to seminars, read the books, do the homework, balance the different opinions out because people will say different things all over the place. Don't pick one guru and follow that person. Get a broad view of everything and make sure it fits where you're going. Know which part of the market you're in and stick with that. Build your network up. Make sure you build a network up of people that you know, like, and trust. And, and there's two networks. There's a network of people that are out there that you want to do business with. And there's a very small select network of people that are your trusted advisors that are those people you can trust. And you give them permission to kick you in the butt and tell you that you're an idiot sometimes. And that's, that's what everybody needs. So have that available too. If you can do those things and then also be financially astute. I know that's the part of the business nobody likes, but mind your pennies. If you mind your pennies, the dollars will find you. Okay. And, and, and so, so many people, they're so worried about building up the business and the networking and the closings and all this marketing and branding. And that's great, but know your dollars, know what's coming in, know what's going out, budget it just like you should your household budget. Basic financial literacy will go a long way to making you very successful. So that's my last words. That's the foundation underneath things. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Have a reason, have a purpose and have non negotiable values that no matter what happens, you don't compromise on. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, so for all of you, I think this is such a wonderful interview uh, with Steve Atley. Definitely share this information to uh, your connections. I think it's, it's such a great um, uh, information that we can benefit other people. But uh, don't forget that I'm gonna have more speakers and probably definitely Steve, we're gonna have another call for more topics to talk about. Uh, I hope we could do that. And again, I thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. You know, you've been such a great mentor for me and you've helped me with so many things and I really, really, truly appreciate you. I appreciate it. You know, I, sometimes I go kicking and screaming, but you've uh, introduced me to a lot of different aspects that I didn't know were out there. So it's good, I enjoy it. It's a lot okay. of fun. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, you guys, uh, we're going to go sign up and don't forget to tune into our YouTube account, subscribe, and make sure that you can also click the bell so you get notification. And uh, I will see you again. All right. Have an amazing day and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye.